Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows all of Bill Belichick's personal New Year's resolutions. Here is the captain. That's right. Don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are drinking 614 Lager by the good folks over at Wolf's Ridge Brewing. 614 is a Midwest light lager that's lightly dry hopped and has subtle melon and citrus notes. It's only 110 calories, so it goes great with my fake diet that I'm pretending to be on. And it's 4.2% ABV, garage grade, three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's a big cheers to our garage friends that are likely pretending to be on diets as well big cheers to nurse chrissy at johns hopkins bayview hospital fighting the covid and a big cheers to leslie in dublin ohio next up captain we have a shout to trevor in louisville who says he loves the captain and appreciates my know-it-all attitude And a big shout out to Alan in raven virginia next up captain we have stephanie in omaha nebraska and last but certainly not least, we have Angel and Rena in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they went to truecrimegarage.com and they clicked on the Beer Fund Donate button. And for that, well, we thank you. And a big tribute beer run to Bob Saget. Rest in peace, my friend. B-double-E-double-R-U-N beer run. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Beaufort, South Carolina. This is the Low Country, a generally rural coastal area with a rich history, with a down-home folksy population and a distinctly southern feel. At 6.36 p.m. on the evening of February 23, 2019, six privileged teenagers, three boys and three girls, set off from a riverfront property referred by the wealthy land-owning Murdoch family as the island, to head to an oyster bake. This was a multi-family gathering at the riverfront home of another family. The teenage crew, armed with a variety of six-packs, stepped onto the Murdoch family's 17-foot Sea Hunt center console powerboat and motored over to the island and docked at the Woods' home who were hosting the oyster bake. The teens partied there, and it appears they continued to drink at the gathering, although whether the adults provided the alcohol to them knowingly is up for debate. The six kids left by boat at 12.11 a.m. The boat had no running lights, so they will use flashlights to navigate their route along the waterway. At 1.13 a.m., surveillance footage captured the six walking down the well-lit deserted New Day Dock in downtown Beaufort to the Murdoch family boat. The youngsters were Paul Murdoch, his girlfriend Morgan Doty, Anthony Cook, his girlfriend Mallory Beach, and Anthony's first cousin, Connor Cook, and his girlfriend, Miley Altman. They boarded the Sea Hut and pushed off from the dock at 1.17 a.m. They had no idea what was about to happen. At 2.20 a.m., a frantic 911 call came into the Beaufort County Emergency Services. Connor Cook was the caller. What bridge is it? Paul, what bridge is this? Paul, what bridge? 911, where's your emergency? Hello? Police fire in this. Hello? We're in a boat crash on Arthur Street. Where, where about on Arthur Street? In Arthur Street, the only bridge on Arthur Street. Arthur Street? Arthur's Creek. Arthur's Creek. Arthur's Creek. Is it down? Okay. What's going on? It's Bob Paris Island. Right. What, what's going on? We, we're in a boat crash. You know what, what kind of a? A boat crash. A, a boat, did you say a boat crash? A boat crash. Okay, so you're at, uh, are you at the dock? Hello, are you, are you at the dock? No, we just crashed in a boat. Okay, are you in the water or are you? We're, we're in the boat. Okay. We have someone missing. Okay, okay. Hang on one second, okay? Call in reference to a disabled, I'm sorry, a boat crash. There's six people on board. They currently have one missing. All right, it's in Archer's Creek, which is right there off of Paris Island. There's a bridge on Paris Island. They're underneath it. They crashed into the bridge. Alpha 29, that's right. 29. 10-4, I'll be in around to the Bell Bridge. Can you also notify... Port Royal and PMO know as well. Affirmative. We're making notifications. Okay. Do you have a description of that person? It's uh, 
one female. Uh, that's all the description I have of her right now. EMS one respond to an accident with injuries. 50 Marina Drive Boulevard on Paris Island. Repeating. It's going to be a change in that location. They're on Malacon Drive down right before you get to the traffic circle. County's on scene, Port Royal's on scene. Um, evidently, the girl was sitting on her boyfriend's lap when they hit the bridge at a high rate of speed, and now she's missing. Um, which, for, which, for instance, did I hear the one on the causeway? Stand by, sir. Um, they hit the, the actual pass on the bridge, right? We don't know. We're, they're not, they just keep telling us they hit the bridge. Um, 310 got on scene. He said the fog is pretty thick. At first, he couldn't even find who they were. Find them. Connor Cook, the caller, sounds pretty calm. But as it turns out, he was talking slow because he's talking with a broken jaw. The dispatcher tells officers that the boat hit the Archer's Creek Bridge, leading to Paris Island at a high rate of speed. The missing girl was sitting on her boyfriend's lap when the boat hit the piling. Some of the occupants were ejected into the water. As you heard, when the call was placed to 911, all of the occupants were accounted for, minus one. 19-year-old Mallory Beach. After 30 minutes... The Beaufort County Sheriff's Department responded to the scene of the accident, along with EMS and the fire department. First responders arrived to find the wet kids freezing, huddled together, injured, and crying. All except for one, Paul Murdoch, who stood in his boxer shorts, alone, making a phone call to his grandfather, Randolph Murdoch. By the time the Department of Natural Resources which holds jurisdiction over boat crashes, arrived. All of the kids except Anthony were at the hospital. Anthony was still pacing on the shore, waiting for search boats to locate his girlfriend, Mallory. No field sobriety tests were administered at the scene, which is surprising to say the least. Beaufort Water Search and Rescue described the condition of the boat after the crash as follows. The front left side, which would be the driver's side, is split open from the nose all the way to the back. There's a six-foot gash where the boat actually came apart at the seam. Blood was on the floor of the boat. Photos show the boat was severely damaged, and the bridge pilings had marks and dents from the impact. Before they trailered the boat and removed it from the scene, DNR officials took photos of what they found on it. There were life jackets per protocol, but there was a lot of other stuff that was not protocol. Pursuant to a search warrant, an inventory dated March 4th reflects that a total of 49 bottles and cans of alcoholic beverages were found on board. 27 of them were empty. And there was more. Police collected surveillance footage showing 19-year-old Paul Murdoch buying alcoholic beverages at a convenience store in Ridgeland. This was at 5.30 p.m. the evening before the crash. He used a fake ID that belonged to his older brother, Buster, who was several inches taller, heavier, and several years older. Two of the other teens also purchased alcohol at the same place just minutes earlier. And police found surveillance footage of Paul Murdoch and Connor Cook entering a Beaufort bar called Luther's Rare and Well Done at 12.55 a.m. 
They ordered two rounds of shots. The bouncer made a written statement that he checked the IDs of the two subjects. They had South Carolina over 21 horizontal IDs. After they asked him if their friends could come in, and he said no, not if they were minors. Paul and Connor downed their drinks, at which time Paul added a video to a Snapchat story of the two doing Jaeger shots. Note, they each had two drinks in the span of 12 minutes. They left the bar at 1.07 a.m. Ten minutes later, the boat with six passengers will leave the dock. One hour after that, Connor Cook will be on a call with emergency personnel explaining that they crashed the boat and the passengers were thrown from the vessel and one of them, Mallory Beach, was still missing. It took a week for Mallory to be found. On March 3rd, her body was located in a marsh about five miles from the crash site. She died from blunt force trauma and drowning and Mallory's death would kick off a series of events that would rival the plot of even the most far-fetched thriller. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the Murdoch Family Murders. After the crash at Beaufort Memorial Hospital, the kids were all put in separate rooms and examined by nurses and doctors to assess their injuries. Some of the kids had serious injuries and required surgery. A nurse who examined Paul Murdoch, who was not really injured, reported that he was, quote, only wearing boxers and that he was grossly intoxicated and belligerent adding that he appeared to be the most intoxicated and uncooperative of those involved. A doctor, Mark Mercer, corroborated this, saying that in the examination room, Paul was being unruly and uncooperative with the medical staff. He observed that Paul was clearly intoxicated and slurring his speech and unsteady on his feet. Now, this didn't come out until later, but WRDW reported that a blood test taken at the hospital around 4 a.m. showed that Paul Murdoch had a blood alcohol level of 0.286. So to break that down, this is more than three times the legal limit. And that was two hours after the accident. So his levels would have been higher at the time of the accident. This alcohol test was not administered at the request of law enforcement, which I think it's important to point this out here, Captain. This test was not administered at the request of law enforcement. This was conducted by the hospital staff at their choosing because Paul was acting so aggressive and strange at the hospital and to the staff They were trying to determine what was wrong with him, if he had something seriously wrong with him. And I think we both find it pretty strange that law enforcement didn't do a sobriety test the minute they arrive at the scene. Look, not all of us have been there, but some of us may have. There's situations where you can't even get back into your vehicle before they administer some kind of test to you to see if you're able to drive or should or should not be driving. This is a a horrible situation here, obviously, Captain, because 
We have one missing who would later turn out to be dead. We all know that booze and boats don't mix, but factor in all the other factors. These are kids too. You know, we said he's over three times or nearly three times the legal limit, but he's not even legal to be drinking in the first place. And with his behavior, you wonder if he was on something more than just alcohol. Yeah. And I think we can examine that a little more as we go along and get to know Paul a little bit better. While the kids were at the hospital, pretty quickly, Alec Murdoch. Now I want to address some things here real quick before we get too far into the weeds. There's a lot of different ways to pronounce a lot of the different names and places in the story. And we are simply going off of the information that we have and what we've been able to review. As far as Beaufort or Buford goes, or Murdaugh or Murdoch and Alex or Alec, tomato, tomato, potato, potato, let's call the whole thing off. The important thing here, Captain, is that while we're at the hospital, we have Paul's father, Alec Murdoch. He's a prominent lawyer in the area, and we also have Paul's grandfather, Randolph Murdoch. Remember, Paul was on the phone with him while the other kids were huddled together and crying and scared. Right. Randolph is also a prominent lawyer in the area. Both of them are on scene at the hospital. Makes you wonder if that's the reason why law enforcement didn't do the initial sobriety test. Well, and I don't think anything's weird with father and grandfather being at the hospital, you know, with their grandson and son there injured after a, a tragic accident. Right. That's normal. But when your kid's in the hospital, you rush over there to make sure that he's okay. That's totally understandable. That does not appear to me to be what Paul and Randolph were doing at the hospital. They were conducting their own sort of business, their own sort of funny business while they were there. Right. As it has been alleged in court filings and backed up by witness statements, Alec and Randolph started trying to keep all of the kids from talking to the police. More specifically, they were trying to stop the kids from telling the police who was driving the boat, which would be very important in this situation. And even worse, it seems like they tried to imply that maybe one of the other kids, Connor, was the actual driver of the boat at the time of the accident. This, of course, is extremely shady, but some of the kids were telling the nurses and officers that Paul was drunk and he was driving the boat like a maniac with no lights on and he drove right into the bridge. Paul denies driving the boat and Alec Murdoch exerted his influence to somehow delay and confuse things so that the police reports basically said, we're not sure who was driving the boat. We need to investigate this further. Well, obviously you shouldn't be operating anything when you're that intoxicated but on top of that like you said they couldn't even see anything because of the fog so they're using flashlights and this yahoo seems that he decided to drive recklessly and try to show off for his friends well and it's illegal to be driving a boat at night with no running lights as well yeah, so good point there's just all kinds of laws being broken here by these these 19 year olds we said teenagers one of them was 20 at the time but uh yeah just underage, uh, and poor, poor decision-making. And I'll take that a step further. And I think we're going to see this poor behavior 
from one Paul Murdoch. One of their friends is now dead because of this. That makes you a murderer. It seems like, Captain, that Alec was successful in getting the other parents to agree to stop their kids from talking, probably by telling them that they should consult an attorney before speaking with law enforcement. But the result was to protect his own kid, Paul Murdoch, from liability. Yeah, this is pathetic. Right. He's going to present this as, oh, it's it's in your son or daughter's best interest to not talk to the police until you have a chance to lawyer up. But in reality, what he's doing is protecting his own son, not everybody. Police obtained search warrants for Mallory Beach's Apple Watch and iPhone and the boat's Garmin. But for some reason, they did not seize Paul's phone or search it as far as I was able to tell. They also reportedly did not take Paul's wallet, which contained the ID that he used to purchase the alcohol. Right, the fake ID. They also obtained a search warrant for the boat's storage compartments and containers for any evidence of illegal underage possession of alcohol, which we detailed. The warrant states, pursuant to the ongoing boating accident investigation, it has been determined that parties on board and involved were underage and had been in possession of and consuming alcohol in violation with South Carolina law. Further, based on witness statements, it is believed that the vessel had been operating in a reckless or careless manner and that evidence of such operation and the identity of the operator may be found on or in the vessel. Basically, they want to search the boat to try to confirm who was driving at the time of the accident and what the whole situation was that led up to this accident. The police are saying they are looking for evidence of who was driving. One of the search affidavits says boat occupants were unable or refused to identify who was operating the boat. This hmm. might be in their legal document. However, to me, Captain, it appears to simply not be true. This is an untrue statement in their document. Because we know that Miley told a nurse, again, she was one of the people on the boat, tells a nurse and a police officer that Paul was the one driving the boat and that he was drunk and speeding and the crash was a direct result of his actions. Now we have another person, Morgan, also on the boat. She tells police as well that Paul was driving and that his driving was, quote, scary. Anthony told police that Paul was crazy drunk and was driving the boat like a maniac. But the police hemmed and hawed and danced around pinning it on Paul until finally they had no choice. Now, we took a look at the actual handwritten statements of some of the kids that were on the boat that horrible night, and they spelled out in detail what actually happened. The police saying that they weren't sure who was driving was just completely indefensible. Clearly, they were afraid. FITS News reported that one officer who wrote in his report that Paul Murdoch was driving the boat was later fired from the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office. Which goes with my suspicion on why police didn't follow protocol and why they didn't test Paul when they arrived at the scene. Don't you think, Captain, in the heat of that moment, it's easier to go, all right, well, maybe we don't test rather than test and then have to worry about the results later or covering up those results. It's easier to just not do it 
and maybe it gets overlooked. Well, they can't do their jobs if their hands are tied and your hands would be tied if you know that you're investigating somebody that has the power to to get rid of your livelihood. I want to take a more detailed look at the the timeline leading up to the accident and just after the accident as well. I think it will help to make these the situation a little clearer. So when the group, when the six kids left the Woods house at 12, 11 a.m., several adults at the Oyster Bake recommended that the kids take an Uber home instead. But the six teens got onto the boat and departed in the dark. Reportedly, they had come by boat in the first place to avoid a DUI checkpoint that they knew would be in place that night. So they're already making arrangements to to drink and hang out undetected that night. Well, it's pathetic because you have the means, like you said, to take an Uber and you, you chose not to. So Paul drove the boat from the Oyster Bake Party to the New Day Dock at a waterfront park in downtown Beaufort. Paul and Connor wanted to get shots. They wanted to go to this bar and the whole group would go there and they would do drinks and shots together. So they docked the boat. Now, no one else wanted to go. Like the rest of the group's like, no, it's late. Let's get home. But these two are like, no, we, we want to continue this party. We want to we keep the, the roller coaster ride going. Miley had to work early the next morning. So obviously she wants to go home. Morgan, Paul's girlfriend, yelled at him not to go to the bar, but he ignored her. And he and Connor went into Luther's at 12.55 a.m. The rest of the kids stayed at the park and hung out on the swings until after a few minutes when Morgan and Miley went to Luther's and tried to get Paul to leave. Now, a little insight as to what's going on at Luther's at the bar. Paul had just knocked over a bar stool and was trying to fight a guy outside of the bar. Connor helped them get Paul to leave and they went back to the boat. This is at 1.13 a.m. and Paul was visibly drunk and swaying. This is based off of surveillance video. This is my opinion, no one else's. Morgan and Miley sat up front in a blanket on the boat and Paul and Connor were at the console with Paul driving and Connor manning the GPS and Mallory and Anthony sat in the rear on the live well with Mallory on his lap. Paul started spinning circles in the boat and horsing around and almost hit a sailboat. And the others got mad and told him to let Anthony drive. But Paul got defensive and started yelling at everyone. According to a statement from Miley Altman, Paul was very, very drunk and was stretching his arms and hands out with his fingers spread wide apart. One of the things that Paul does when he is very drunk. So this is, seems pretty stupid to you and I, Captain, this stretching out your arms and fingers. Right. But this is something that his inner circle, his group of friends knows when this dude gets drunk, this is something that he typically does. This Paul character seems like a, a spoiled, rich brat. According to Anthony's statement. And too bad he didn't get punched in the face that night. Right. Well, according to Anthony's statement, Paul had hit, quote, that drunk stage. 
where Paul will start stretching his arms and his hands out and widening his fingers out as wide as he can. This is weird, right? But it gets crazier. Anthony and the others told police that Timmy was out that night. Well, who the heck is Timmy? Timmy was the alter ego of Paul Murdoch. This is what his friends call him when he gets to a certain level of drunkenness and he gets mean and very toxic. Timmy stretches out his arms and hands and his eyes get as big and round as half dollars and he doesn't blink. Now the nickname Timmy had been the nickname Timmy had been initiated one night at the Murdoch family home and mostly when Paul was about 16 and he got super drunk and turned into a different person. And they said that once he reached this level, reached the Timmy level, that Paul loved to tear stuff up. And he got very destructive, angry. At this point, his friends knew that it was time to leave. So they're on the boat. They're getting ready to leave. He's turning into Timmy and his friends are telling him, look, you can't be driving the boat. Let one of us drive. And instead he's, he's reacting even crazier. Like, Oh, I can't drive. This is my boat. And he's spinning it in circles, basically doing donuts to which, to the point where he almost hits a sailboat before they even take off out into the waters. Well, Paul is turning into this alter ego, this angry drunk. And you just wish that one of these people would have stepped up and stopped all this and maybe their friend would still be alive. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. 
Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. You couldn't write this story. That's right. Here in the garage, we always say that each case is unique. There are no two that are the same, but with this one, they certainly broke the mold here. This is one of the most bizarre, strange stories I've ever, that I think we've covered here in the garage with many twists and turns. It's up there with uh, Boys on the Tracks. Well, on the night that Mallory Beach was killed, I don't care how confused law enforcement and other agencies seem to be in the very beginning. I understand that Alec Murdoch and his father Randolph was, they were really making it very confusing and getting everybody to keep quiet in the beginning. But on the night when Mallory Beach was killed, Timmy, a.k.a. Paul Murdoch, was driving the boat. That's based off of statements that we've reviewed and everything that we could find. Now, according to these statements, Paul continued to drive like a nut, speeding up and then slowing down abruptly. So he's not just drunk. He's just being a complete asshat at this point and really just horsing around. And you can't be doing that when you're out in the water in a boat, in the dark, in the fog, no running lights, And you got other people on your boat as well. At one point, he's driving so dramatically and acting so dramatic that Anthony and Mallory were thrown onto the bottom of the boat. And Anthony demanded that Paul either let him drive or let him and Mallory get out of the boat and leave. They'll figure out how they're going to get home. But Paul says no, and he continues to drive the boat erratically. Archer's Creek is a narrow tidal waterway and it was pitch black outside. So this of course is particularly dangerous. And of course, no one is wearing a life jacket. Miley's statement said that she yelled at Paul to let Connor drive, but he lost it and started screaming about how it was his boat and no one else was going to drive it. Spoiled brat. Anthony later said in his deposition, that Paul said, quote, it was his boat and nobody knew the effing river like he does. And he is the only one driving the effing boat. Yeah, you knew the river so well that you ran into a bridge. Paul then drove the wrong way and almost hit a large swing bridge, which was in the opposite direction from where they were going. So he's completely off the rails by this point. So Connor grabbed the wheel at this point and averted the crash. If it wasn't for Connor stepping in here, they would have already wrecked the boat. Paul then took off all of his clothes except his boxers 
Now, keep in mind, it's like 40 to maybe 45 degrees out there that night. Shrinkage. And then he abandoned the wheel. And he goes up front to the front of the boat where his girlfriend Morgan is sitting. And he starts yelling at her. She pushes him away. And Paul hit her and spit on her and called her a whole bunch of a whole slew of names. Yeah. So he's abusive, rich, self-entitled prick. Well, I love these kids because they think they're rich. They should keep in mind it's their parents that are actually rich. They've not done anything. Well, should, yeah, but <laughs> look at how his father's acting afterwards. Self-entitled prick himself. So we have Paul's girlfriend who will tell police that this was not the first time that he had hit her. Uh, Morgan started crying. Paul then went back behind the console and wrestled the wheel from Connor. And Miley stayed up front comforting Morgan. Paul had his hands on the wheel when Miley last saw him. So this is according to her statement. Last she saw, Paul had his hands on the wheel. Anthony and Mallory sat on the boat's bottom, huddled together. They last saw Paul driving as well, according to their statements. Connor was next to Paul. The boat sped up. And we know this from the Garmin. Remember, they put the they got the search warrant to get the tech from the Garmin that was on boat on board the boat sped up from 24 mile an hour to 27 and then all the way up to 29 according to the garmin's memory and remember the boat had just a flashlight held by connor for lighting to see where it was going right all of a sudden the bridge came out of nowhere and the boat hit the piling at 29 miles per hour paul anthony and mallory were thrown into the water of archer's creek the problem here is when you hear 29 miles an hour That's not that fast when you're in a car. That is pretty fast when you're in a boat. Yeah, and you have to keep in mind too, when you're in a car, you have you have a top. Right. You know, you have a you have a rooftop there that can stop you from being ejected from the vehicle. You don't have that in this situation. Yeah, but this guy, Paul, he knows the he knows this creek better than anybody. Right. Is it a creek or a river? It's a a creek. It seems like the worst episode of Dawson's Creek ever. Miley and Morgan and Connor were thrown to the floor of the boat. The boat came to a stop on the shore. Paul and Anthony were able to fight the current and swim to shore, but Mallory was nowhere to be seen. Miley and Morgan started screaming for their friend. Connor called 911. And Paul called his grandfather on Miley's phone. On the shore, Anthony screamed at Paul that this was all his fault. And Paul yelled at him to shut up and stop talking. So it seems like he goes into Murdoch mode. Just everybody shut up. Don't say a word. This is what happened next. And this is according to People Magazine. And I will censor myself here as I go through this, Captain, because it's a little much. Quote, early this summer, raw police car dash cam footage from February 24th, 2019 crash scene was released by the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office and obtained by FITS News. On the recordings, Beach's boyfriend, Anthony Cook, is sitting in the police car when Paul walks by. Anthony can be heard yelling at Paul and tells police Paul was out of control that night. None of them wanted to go to the bar, and Paul was driving the boat when it crashed, and Beach was thrown into the swirling current. 
He says, quote, that mother effer needs to rot in effing prison, end quote. Yeah, Paul, or a.k.a. Timmy, shit princess, dingle donkey, son of a motherless goat. Well, Anthony's not done uh, voicing his opinions here He about Paul. He says, quote, he ain't going to get into no effing trouble. And Paul allegedly smiles at Anthony at this point. And Anthony erupts screaming, quote, you effing smiling like it's effing funny. My effing girlfriend is gone. And at this point, he obviously doesn't know that she's dead. No, but it's been quite some time and they've not been able to find her. In the ambulance, Paul was belligerent and hostile and had to be strapped down by the EMTs and watched by an officer. Police on the scene noted that he was visibly intoxicated. See, this is where you shake your head and go, what the hell? Like, okay, yeah. the law enforcement and, and the, the emergency personnel, they are alerted pretty quickly that Paul Murdoch, he's he's a person of some kind of power and influence here. Yeah. And we also have police stating that very early on, once they arrive at the scene, that this dude is visibly intoxicated, yet nobody is going to... Nobody's going to test anybody to see how intoxicated these kids are. Well, they, they should have tased them right in the butthole. But as frustrated as I want to be with the cops, the problem is the whole department. Because you notice when he shows up and he acts like a freaking moron and enraged, basically a psychopath is what he's acting like. The nurses don't hesitate the, the staff at the hospital does not hesitate to test him because they're in an establishment that at, at least protecting their jobs. It seems to me that these police officers showed up and because of their department and whatever connections they have to this rich, entitled brat and his father, it, it seems like their department wasn't protecting them because, like you said, the, one of the cops was fired. Yeah, and when Paul was asked who was driving, this again, on the scene— when Paul was asked who was driving, he says, why do you need to know who was driving? That isn't going to help find Mallory. Now, at the hospital, Paul's father, Alec, and grandfather, Randolph Murdoch, by the way, the former solicitor, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, barged in and prevented Paul from giving any statements to police. Morgan's statement specifically says that when she got out of surgery, Alec Murdoch try to enter her room multiple times, but the nurse would not allow him in. In the hallway, he kept saying that he needed to tell Morgan what to say. So Alec Murdoch stopped investigators from being able to speak to his son after the accident. All Paul's interviews had to be coordinated through his lawyers. And the 14th Judicial Circuit Solicitor's Office recused itself from handling the case for reasons that we will get into. So the Murdochs managed to control the narrative to a certain extent, muddy the waters of the investigation, provide confusing information, and slow the prosecution of one of their own, Paul Murdoch. Well, obviously it seems the way law enforcement is acting or reacting to Paul that his family has some kind of power, but obviously we don't understand that being outsiders. So what is their 
family background. Right. Who are the Murdochs and why do they have so much power? That's the first thing that you want to know when you see this situation. Well, in 1910, we're going to go way back in time here, Captain. In 1910, Randolph Murdoch graduated from law school and returned to his small hometown of Hampton, South Carolina, to go into private law practice. The firm he founded would grow over the next 110 years to become the impressive Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Dietrich, P.A., so hopefully we don't have to say that too many times, but that was the name Can of the firm. Can you repeat that one more no, time? No, thank you. Murdoch was so successful that in 1920, he became the first man to be elected to the new office of solicitor of the 14th Judicial Circuit, this covering five counties and 3,200 square miles. Okay, so what is a solicitor? The solicitor title is equivalent to a district attorney or a prosecutor in other jurisdictions. But, and this is a big but, but unlike in other jurisdictions, the chief prosecutor also maintained his private practice, staying with his private law firm and representing private clients at the same time as being the prosecutor, basically, of this jurisdiction. Yeah, it seems like a conflict of interest. You think the law firm went on to become one of the largest personal and vehicular injury firms in South Carolina. So not just in this little area, in the state. So he's an ambulance chaser. Well, but he's kind of able to work both sides of the fence there, right? Yeah. According to the firm's website, they have won millions and millions of dollars in settlements and jury awarded damages for their clients. This is because they made abundant use of an unusual law in effect in South Carolina that permits personal injury plaintiffs who are South Carolina residents to file a suit in any county in which an out-of-state company owns property and or conducts business. Regardless where the accident took place. Right. So, for example, if someone lived in Hilton Head, and mm-hmm. got into a fatal accident in New Jersey and wanted to sue Firestone Tires, they could because those tires are sold in South Carolina. Right. It's a legal concept called forum shopping, and the state courts were known to be very friendly to civil plaintiffs. So his law firm was so successful at suing the railroad company, this is CSX, that their building was known as, quote, the house that CSX built. Now, I might just be a dumb guy in the garage, but uh, this seems a little shady. Well, this firm has represented pretty much everyone in the area. They were the go-to firm, and they were keeping up to 50% of the settlement funds. Because when you signed on with them as a client, you there's a certain expectation here that you're not going to get with other firms. You're basically signing up and almost guaranteeing yourself that you're going to either A, win your lawsuit, or B, this firm will, will get them to settle out of court. You're going to get a bunch of money, and therefore they can keep a higher percentage of it because their success rate is so good. We don't get paid unless you get paid. I don't think we get paid at all. <laughs> Randolph Sr. was a powerful and successful man working both sides of the courtroom, basically, lining his and his family's pockets and building up a power base at the solicitor's office. Ironically, 
Randolph Sr. was killed in a train accident in 1940. Remember after they sued the train place all that time? That seems a little suspicious. His son, Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr., took over his father's private practice and public office upon his death and served as the 14th Circuit Solicitor from 1940 until 1986, a 46-year term that is believed to be the longest term in any solicitor in U.S. history, according to Bluffton Today. The situation was a classic example of nepotism with Randolph III holding the title of assistant solicitor under his dad, Buster, and then taking over the solicitor role in 1986. Randolph III, his son, is Alec Murdoch, who carried on the tradition by working in the solicitor's office under his dad and continuing as a volunteer prosecutor there until September of 2021 after the Murdoch's holding both private and public position came to an official end. Right. So at that time, captain, after Randolph, the third retired or went into 100% private practice in 2006, basically we have an 86 year streak in which a Murdoch held the title of solicitor in this area. Well, like I said, it's a conflict of interest, but it's a way also to build generational wealth. So right. now, you know, his son now has a leg up on the rest of the world because his father's going to be, he's going to be an inheriting money from his father. He's going to be an inheriting power from his father. So for 86 straight years, they, uh, Murdoch held the title of solicitor in this area. As you pointed out, a huge, outrageous conflict of interest. But this whole time, they're still practicing law on the private level as well. Right. Now, after the last Murdoch, this Randall third officially retired from the solicitor's office in 2006, Duffy stone, a Murdoch ally and tight friend was elected. So even though they're out at this point, their tentacles are still way involved and in stretching throughout this area and everything. And as far as the law goes, and the Murdochs continue to prosecute in Hampton County for the solicitor's office as sort of a contract prosecutor. So this means that the Murdochs were still cloaked in the mantle of the legal powers that be in this area. Right. Even though they were not elected and they had multiple conflicts of interest. Now, we need to tell the story of our Murdoch family of four. Alec, the successful father his wife, Maggie, and their two sons, Buster and Paul Murdoch. Maggie Kennedy Branstetter was a sorority girl at the University of South Carolina when she met Alec Murdoch, who was one year ahead of her at school. They were really perfect for each other. That's what everybody says. I mean, they were rich, they were entitled, and they both were destined for success. The couple married in 1993 and owned four properties together, including the mostly property, their hunting lodge, which Maggie preferred, their Odesto beach home, their home in downtown Hampton, and the island, which we heard about in the intro. Buster, a.k.a. Richard Alec Murdoch Jr., born 1996, and then we have Paul, who was born in 1999. Those are the four that make up the Murdoch family of four that we'll be talking about the most during these episodes. 
Now, per the Wall Street Journal, the boys were redheads and outdoorsmen. They hunted, played pool, rode go-karts, frequently at mostly. This is a, it's described by the Wall Street Journal as a 1,700-acre hunting property that the family owned and called their retreat. Maggie notoriously spoiled the boys who were hard-playing and hard-partying types. Buster attended Warford College, studying government and international affairs. In the summers, he interned at his father's, his family's law firm, and then went to law school at the University of South Carolina School of Law from the fall of 2018 to spring of 2019. The Wall Street Journal reported that Buster was kicked out of law school for plagiarism in the spring of 2019. Now, as for Paul, per the Wall Street Journal, he was a criminology major at South Carolina. This was ironic because in his years from 2017 to 2018, he ran into quite a bit of legal trouble himself, getting cited for half a dozen minor legal infractions over the course of roughly a year. He was charged with alcohol possession, and a jury trial was scheduled and delayed five times. He had a bench warrant for failure to appear at some point and was sentenced to an alcohol diversion program in 2018. Sounds like it didn't take. Yeah, you think. An avid boater. Motor boater. He was cited by DNR for littering and possession of alcohol on Memorial Day weekend 2017. Douche. Days after he graduated from high school. Canoe. So this was not his first time with alcohol and a boat. And getting in trouble. When there's no punishment, you're going to keep repeating your crimes. But it's also great to hear their background or to have an understanding of this family's background. Because because of the information and the work that they do, when they go to the hospital, you, you really start understanding how, how much of a malicious intent they have by not being cooperative with law enforcement. Right. And so it seems... This gives us, again, a good understanding of why the cops would be hesitant to man up and lay the blame on Paul Murdoch in this boat situation. Now, fortunately, Captain, you and I don't live or work in Hampton, South Carolina, so I have no problems spitting the truth here. From everything I've seen and reviewed, all signs say Paul was hammered drunk and driving the Murdoch boat when Mallory was killed. Now, this is from People Magazine, which has been diving into the juicy Murdoch scandal with a vengeance. Quote, you don't cross the Murdochs, says a local attorney. Or if you do cross them, you don't let them find out that it was you who crossed them. Because they'll come down on you hard. And they'll come down on you with all that they've got. They have a lot of influence and power, and they'll use it against their enemies. End quote. So clearly the police felt the menacing presence of the Murdochs in regard to the Mallory Beach investigation. The investigative delay in arresting and charging Paul for the crash was so shameless that a grand jury was eventually impaneled by the attorney general's office to examine how officers investigated the crash. In fact, the state grand jury was to specifically examine whether there was obstruction of justice by anyone. The Murdoch's family, law enforcement, officers included, everyone. 
According to one news source called the Island Packet, this was because Alec and Randolph Murdoch prevented the teen boat passengers from talking to investigators and may have prevented sobriety tests from being conducted as well. And I say kudos to the attorney general's office for not cowering to these shady white collared thugs like like some of these asshats did. Now listen to this. This is from the Post and Courier. The Beaufort County Sheriff's Office released recordings from its deputies dashboard cameras in response to a Freedom of Information Act request from the Post and Courier. The new recordings include a brief conversation between a Department of Natural Resources officer and Beach's boyfriend, the victim's boyfriend, Anthony Cook. The DNR officer, Austin Pritcher, whose job it was to determine who was driving, asked Cook who was driving before the crash. Cook immediately implicated 19-year-old Paul Murdoch. This is from the transcript here, Captain. Who was driving the boat, Pritchard said. The last time I grabbed my girlfriend and got down in the bottom of the boat, Paul was driving, Cook said. Paul was driving, the officer followed up. Yes, sir, Cook answered. I begged and begged and begged and begged to let me drive. Yet in his report on the crash, Pritchard did not document that comment. He wrote that Cook did not know who was driving. That's, that's messed up. And later that morning, after speaking with other passengers at a nearby hospital, Pritchard told his supervisor he suspected someone else entirely. Pritchard testified at a deposition that he did not know why he didn't document Cook's statement. Further, on the dash cam, when being asked about who was driving the boat, concerns about the Murdoch family's reach were raised in the moments after the crash, according to this released video. While he was still at the scene, Anthony Cook asked an officer if he knew who Paul's father was, saying, do you all know Alec Murdoch? Cook said, oh yeah, I know that name, the officer said. That's his son, Cook said. After a pause, he added, so good luck. That one line right there, and I'll read it again. So good luck. That shows how clearly everyone knew that the Murdochs were protected, and this case, Paul specifically. Even the guy who was good friends with Paul and who just lost his girlfriend and was injured in the boat crash knew Paul was living under the protection of his powerful family. Just like Anthony Cook told the officer, so good luck. The recordings also captured Paul talking to a Beaufort deputy named Jack Keener who opted not to collect, as evidence, Paul's cell phone. Paul asked to borrow the deputy's phone. The stones on this kid. Can you imagine asking to borrow the officer's phone? Yeah. Keener answered that he didn't have one with him, but reminded Paul that he had just been holding one, saying, you dropped yours in the grass right back there, the deputy said. So Paul tries to hide his phone by dropping the officer not only did he see this, but gave verbal confirmation of the phone's location, and yet Paul's cell phone never made its way into the collected evidence. So the police are not just showing favor to the Murdochs here. Right. I'd argue that they are actually obstructing justice. Yeah, I totally agree. Ronald Klopp, a security officer at the 
Beaufort Memorial Hospital told investigators that the that at the hospital after the boat crash, Randolph Murdoch, the grandfather, kept telling Paul to keep his mouth shut. And Alec was trying to get into the rooms of each of the survivors. Klopp overheard Alec on his phone saying, I, I want you to really take this in here, everybody. This security officer overheard Alec Murdoch saying on his phone, quote, she's gone. Don't worry about her. What a piece of shit. Other hospital personnel back this up. So this is not just one person saying this. This is people saying he is on his phone at the hospital and he's saying the words, she's gone. Don't worry about her. Can you imagine this scenario? This is real life shit here. Just a few hours after a lovely young woman, just 19 years old, loses her life. Alec Murdoch, father of the idiot that was driving the boat, is on the phone saying she's gone. Don't worry about her. Basically, forget all about Mallory Beach. She's old news. We need to protect the kids that survived. I'm telling you, Captain, this Alec Murdoch, I think they removed his soul to make more room for stomach. Well, he's a real pile of shit, but the level of piles of shit in this case already, and like you said, Mallory Beach, Mallory Beach, She's the one that was missing. At, the, at this point, they don't know what happened to her, but your son was driving like an animal, acting immature and reckless, and, and she's missing from a boat. This is the pile of shit that you raised, and then you're going to go above. No wonder he acts like a pile of shit because now you're acting like a pile of shit. It's almost like everybody immediately showed up on the scene. They protected themselves. They didn't care about Mallory Beach. They didn't care what happened to her. And it's like they just wanted this all to go away and and to save themselves. This is a horrible act by so many people involved, law enforcement, the families, Paul, his, his grandfather, his father. Right. The only people acting as they should are the other passengers that were on that boat and their families and the hospital staff. And, and But people aren't even taking their words serious or writing them down. And you know what I think here we have here too, Captain, is a situation that was made a little easy for some of the law enforcement agencies involved here in the Murdoch land. They're basically a good old boy network, and what they're able to do here is basically passing the buck as to who screwed up, right? It's not necessarily, hey, you know, you can look at me and I did it wrong or our agency did it wrong. What you have here is you have the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office pointing out that the boat crash was the DNR's jurisdiction. Then you have DNR, the agency whose officers were noncommittal about who was driving. But thank God there's only so long that the Murdochs could protect Paul. Because on April 18, 2019, Mallory Beach's birthday Paul was indicted for his role in Mallory's death. He was charged with three felonies, boating under the influence causing death, and two charges of boating under the influence causing great bodily injury. The solicitor's office recused itself because of all their connections with the Murdochs. So the South Carolina Attorney General prosecuted the case instead. But it took nearly two months after the crash for Paul to even be charged. That's ridiculous. This is a quote from Bluffton today. Murdoch was never handcuffed, never entered into jail. His booking photograph was taken in a courthouse hallway 
in his own clothes. A judge denied a prosecutor's request to make him wear an alcohol monitor. And Murdoch was allowed to travel freely about the state while awaiting a trial date that never came. On May 6th, Paul pled not guilty to all charges, and he was released on a $50,000 personal recognizance bond. His family posted bail, and he went back to his privileged life. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, make sure you check out our show called Off the Record. It's on Stitcher Premium. For $5, you get our bonus show, and you get every bonus show on Stitcher Premium. So check that out. You can do so at truecrimegarage.com. Click on the Off the Record link. And we'll see you back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't look. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.